Hello, and welcome to Rare Minds, a podcast by Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, which we call Rare. I'm your host, Army Captain Tom Nassif. Today on the show, we will walk through a type of exercise that, once learned, can be practiced anywhere and at almost any time to help increase your concentration, improve the clarity of your senses, and strengthen your ability to be calm in difficult situations. Before we get to the exercise, though, a discussion with Shinzen Young. Young is a meditation teacher who, while studying Buddhist meditation practices in Japan, was ordained as a Buddhist monk. In recent years, he has worked to help researchers build the scientific basis for understanding the value of meditation, collaborating with Harvard, Carnegie Mellon, the University of Massachusetts, among others. Young spoke with Rare Strategic Communication Director, Terry Welch. You personally came at the practice of mindfulness from a few different angles, starting out as an academic studying Buddhism. You eventually became a Buddhist monk, and now you're part of this growing scientific research community um, who are studying the practice. What what is the science teaching us now about the benefits of mindfulness and uh, for performance and mental well-being? I would say that the science of mindfulness is in its infancy. Um, at the Galileo stage, if we know we're on to something. It's probably very important but our instruments are crude, and um, we're, looking, we're using a Galilean telescope. We think it's fancy, it's called um, magnetic image functional <laughs> imaging, but it's really a crude instrument. Yet despite that, we have shown some practical effects uh, that are pretty stunning in terms of human happiness. So the basic idea to remember to get a handle on what mindfulness is, I would say, is develop the strength, optimize the happy. You develop certain core attentional competencies, concentration, power, sensory clarity, equanimity, and that's a systematic training. You do the training, and then you have your mission. But the mission of mindfulness is the biggest mission of all. It's to optimize your happiness and therefore optimize the happiness of everyone around you. So what we do have is some strong clinical outcomes that indicate that with respect to a number of important dimensions of human happiness, Developing the so-called mindful awareness, which is nothing more than concentration power, sensory clarity, and equanimity, systematically training those skills with exercise in stillness, in motion, in life, and then 
you use that enhanced focus strength to reduce suffering, uh, physical, mental, and emotional, elevate sensory uh, fulfillment, understand yourself at all levels, make positive behavior changes, which then, of course, would be associated with successful objective outcomes. In the end, even uh, develop the ability to be enormously fulfilled through service, a life of service. These aspects of happiness, we now have some clinical data that is pretty convincing that if you allocate a reasonable amount of time and energy to systematically developing the core focus strength capacities, you can use those mindfulness techniques not just to develop core attentional competencies, but also the techniques themselves serve as sort of life hacks. And that's why the word mindfulness is such a powerful word, because if you say meditation, contemplative practice, that starts to sound, I don't know, cultural, religious, philosophical. Mindfulness, though, is attention training, yet it impacts on all dimensions of human happiness. So, yeah, if you do these practices, it's going to make you feel better and do better. That's the mission. In your book, you talk about how meditation and mindfulness can increase a person's base level of concentration. And, and you say that that base level of concentration is, in a sense, the most valuable thing they have. Could you explain why? Concentration, I like to define it, or think about it rather, as the ability to focus on what you want to focus on, <laughs> the ability to focus on what's relevant. Could be broad, could be narrow, but we all know when you can attend to what is relevant, you feel better, you do better. When you're distracted, often the opposite is the case. So this is a very general skill, and any skill, any other skill, academic, physical, recreational, professional, you name it, any other skill is going to be enhanced by the ability to focus. So in a sense, it's the first thing that everyone should teach. William James famously said, the way to go about education is teach people how to focus and then teach them everything else. And then he famously said, but unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be any way to systematically teach people how to focus. Well, he was wrong. There actually is a way. So I think the point I was making there is, well, if you're going to educate someone, give them the skill that will be deep and broad that will allow them to get better at all the other skills. But the reason I might want to change my tune is equanimity, which I define as the ability to not fight with yourself in the subconscious moment by moment, that's also a very, very important skill because that's the one that can allow you to, well, let me quote St. John of the Cross. He was a 16th century 
a Catholic meditator from Spain. He said, if you want to ascend the mountain, you can't let yourself stop to pick any flowers. Neither can you allow yourself to be frightened by the, uh, any wild beasts that you may encounter on your journey. If we don't subtly interfere with the natural flow of pleasure and pain, then the pain causes less suffering and the pleasure gives you more fulfillment. Most people don't realize it, but there's subtle microscopic stickiness, which could also be called self-interference or suboptimal, uh, suboptimal use of energy in the subliminal processing. It's deep, deep, deep down. But it's something like subconscious tension everywhere in the nervous system, very subtle. So developing equanimity is analogous to reducing friction in a um, mechanical system. As friction is reduced, the car is more efficient and doesn't heat up. So the equanimity skill is very important, obviously, particularly for anyone who might be in deployment or in general is, you know, being asked to make the sacrifice of uniform service. How do you think having been a monk might give you insight into the benefits of mindfulness for the military? Well, if you do that training, if you live that lifestyle, you go in one person and you come out a different person. Definitely, I learned what mindfulness is, old school. But the other thing I learned was what it's like to be in a highly structured environment where you have to do things, everyone has to do exactly a certain thing at a certain time, in a certain way, and they put you in a situation with very little personal freedom, a lot of physical challenges, but it's done with a certain goal that as a result of having been in that situation, you're an extraordinary person for life. Um, so it occurred to me, you know, this sounds a lot like boot camp, like training in the military. People put themselves in this kind of situation, then they deal with it. So if we could weave in, in a way that was completely natural and integral, the training in the attention skills with their training to be a soldier when the commission or the enlistment is over, if you're going back to civilian life, you're extraordinary as the result of your experience uh, in uniform service. You're just an extraordinary person. And, and there are some benefits. You know, PTSD has been with us since there's been war, probably. But the study of it in the past few decades has expanded greatly, and even more so recently because PTSD was one of these uh, invisible wounds that were a signature of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. And you said that mindfulness can help with PTSD in several ways. So how so? Service means sacrifice. That's why it's called service. And that's why it's honored. So the mindfulness 
allows you to experience the inconveniences of those sacrifices with less suffering and more of a sense that this is a fulfilling thing for me. So I would say that's general. But then we get down to two very uh, specific issues, traumatization and uh, distorted behavior in the field or bad decisions in the field. So these types of practices were done in previous societies as part of warrior training. That means you have the ability to experience physical, mental, and emotional distress in a state of concentration, clarity, and equanimity. Because remember, we're elevating your base level of concentration, clarity, equanimity. We're not just giving you a drug that makes you a certain way at a certain time. We're exercising a muscle that's always going to be there for you moving forward. So if you're out in the field and all this is coming, at you, if your base level of distress is less, then certainly you're going to be more clear-headed about making decisions. There's that, decisions in the field that are looked back at uh, with pride. And then there is what shape you're going to be in when you come back from your service to civilian life. So if you were suffering less, you're going to carry less. You processed it, uh, even the emotional stuff. You were given the skills before we sent you out. And so now you're vaccinated against future suffering. So it's really a consequence of how mindfulness reduces suffering that leads to the ability to think more clearly under pressure, but also leads the to the ability to experience full on, if it comes to that, the real horrors of it. So you don't carry it you just have extraordinary processing abilities and you pretty much processed it then and there. So I would say there is the generic message of mindfulness for all humans. And then there's certain things that are specific about the uniform services. You're making a sacrifice. We'd like that to really be fulfilling for you. And you may be asked to make a really, really, really big sacrifice and put yourself in a situation that could traumatize you. But we've prepared you. Shenzhen Young is the author of, among other books, The Beginner's Guide to Meditation, and most recently, The Science of Enlightenment, How Meditation Works. 
Now on to our exercise. Given the challenges of the pandemic, it can be difficult to focus our attention on what's most important and maintain a sense of clarity to accomplish daily tasks. Whether it's having to telework in a distracting home environment not set up for work, the added stress of having to homeschool or engage in 24-7 daycare for those of us with children at at home, or the general uncertainty of the times in which we live, our ability to concentrate and maintain clarity may be impaired, interfering with optimal performance. Mindfulness can be seen as a set of skills that can be honed and developed to help improve our lives, whether it's to sustain attention on important tasks so that we perform better at work or school, or maintain clarity and balance amid stressful situations. This next exercise will help to develop the core skills of what Shenzhen describes as concentration power, sensory clarity, and equanimity. We'll spend about five minutes focusing your attention on each of these three things. See, hear, feel, and then broaden our awareness to all of these senses. There's no right or wrong way to do this practice. Try this practice at home, inside or outside, at a park, on a hike. Also, try this exercise in different positions, such as standing, sitting, lying down, eyes may be open or closed, or walking, so that you can better integrate and embed mindfulness into everyday life. Now begin by settling into your environment, taking a few breaths, coming into a state of ease. Release any unnecessary tension from the body. Now focus your attention on what you see. Allow your attention to shift from one object to the next. If your eyes are closed, you might focus on light trickling through the eyelids. Not trying to do or change anything, just taking in your visual experience. Feel free to defocus or soften your gaze. And if your mind wanders to a thought or sensation, notice that your mind wandered and return to the exercise of seeing.
If you're having a hard time focusing, say see every time you shift your gaze to a new object. Just noticing what comes up for you as you see. Focusing attention on your visual experience. If your mind wanders to something else, notice that your mind wandered. Then gently return to the exercise of seeing. Allowing your attention to shift from one object to the next as you attend to seeing. Now, focus your attention on what you hear. Just allowing your attention to shift from one sound to the next. And as you attend to sound, you might notice whether the sound is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. I'm not trying to do or change anything, just taking in your auditory. 
experience And if there are no sounds at a given moment, focus on the silence or absence of sound. And if your mind wanders to a thought, sensation, or something else. Notice that your mind wandered and gently return to the exercise of hearing. And if you're having a hard time focusing, say here every time you shift your awareness to a new sound. attending to your auditory experience or silence. Just being effortless. And aware of sound. Without getting pulled or drawn into any particular experience or judgment or idea about the sound. Just noticing sound with equanimity and openness. And finally, focus your attention on what you feel in your physical body.
And as before, allow your attention to shift from one bodily sensation to the next. This might be warmth or coolness. The chest expanding with each breath. Your heartbeat. Or perhaps discomfort, tiredness, or ease. And if you are walking, you might feel your muscles contracting or your feet making contact with the floor. Taking in the different bodily sensations, noticing if they are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Not trying to change anything, just taking in your sensory experience without judgment. What we call equanimity. If your mind wanders to something unrelated, notice that your mind wandered and return to the exercise of sensing the physical body. And if you're having a hard time focusing, say, feel every time you shift your awareness to a new sensation. attending to your somatic experience with openness. aware of bodily sensations.
Now, broaden your attention to float between what you see, hear, and feel, taking in one sensation at a time. If more than one sensation comes up at the same time, choose one to focus on. And if nothing comes up in your awareness, settle into a state of do-nothing until something arises in your experience. Approaching each and every moment with equanimity. And if you're having a hard time focusing, say, see, hear, or feel every time you shift your awareness to a new object. Taking in each new experience with openness. And equanimity. And as before, if you notice your mind wandering, notice and gently bring it back to the exercise of see, hear, feel.
attending to your visual, auditory, and somatic experience with curiosity and openness. Before we conclude the practice, begin taking a few deep breaths. Awakening the body by wiggling fingers and toes. Inviting subtle movements into arms and legs. And as you're ready, gradually returning to a state of eyes-open wakefulness. Rare Minds is hosted by me, Captain Tom Nassif. It's a product of the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, commanded by Colonel Clint Murray and the U.S. Army Medical Research and Development Command, commanded by Brigadier General Michael Talley. Special thanks today to Shenzhen Young and his associate Emily Barrett. Please remember to like and review this podcast on the app you're using right now to help others find the podcast. Today's final thought comes from the Bhagavad Gita. For he who has conquered the mind, the mind is the best of friends. But for one who has failed to do so, his very mind will be the greatest enemy. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.